0: And welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game.
1: Or at least while changing the rules. I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host. And today, in our Season 1 finale, we're breaking down our first year of podcasting. If you'd like to suggest an upcoming topic for Season 2 and beyond, send us a compliment. Ask us a question or otherwise get in touch. You can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Breaking Out Pod, or via email, breakingoutofbreakinginpod at gmail.com. And if you want deeper dives into everything that we cover on this podcast, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Breaking out pod. For just $3 a month, you'll get bonus content like templates, curated learnings, custom infographics, and perhaps secrets for how you can take your current frustration and turn it into future potential. Uh, And for $10 a month, you'll get all of that, plus a holographic logo sticker and a shout out at the end of each episode. So, Christina, what's new?
0: (laughs) This is like baby TMI, but I have my period right now, and I had my period when we recorded our burnout episode and also when I had the aforementioned breakdown, so it's definitely a pattern of mine that I'm like at my most pessimistic and i'm going to try and be more uplifting though this time <laughs> so
1: yeah no it's I, fair i will
0: say i'm feeling better than i was around the time of recording the burnout episode just because things have slowed down a little bit so i've been like a little bit more well rested i suppose that's good um, yeah but it's weird it's weird to be recording like a year in like review of the year when we're at the beginning of november which is when we're recording this so I don't quite, I don't think I'm quite in like, oh, the year's over mode. Sure.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh But it has been, you know, there's been some good stuff and I like, we should talk about good stuff because we talked about all bad stuff last time.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I guess let's let's start with the high level podcast stuff, and then we'll get into each yeah. of us specifically. So, let's in the year and some change since we started releasing this podcast for all of you lovely, lovely folks, we are at six thousand seven hundred and forty-eight total downloads. So, thank you so much for for coming through. Yeah. Uh, we have released thirty episodes. This is our thirtieth episode officially, mm-hmm. and then two bonus episodes, uh, which were, if you'll remember, the uh, iPhone movie myth with (laughs) Micah Khan and also our Breaking Even announcement. So two bonuses. So technically 32 episodes, but true episodes 30. Uh, We've got 34 wonderful patrons over on Patreon, and uh, they're going to get even more stuff this upcoming month, but we'll talk about that at the end. Um, And they account for helping us cover $133 a month of our podcasting expenses, which is huge. And once again, thank you so much for everyone who's come through for us and uh, is Supporting us in uh, our endeavor to continue making this podcast and depressing you and talking about our periods. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes inspiring you. Hopefully,
0: yeah. I think I think it's refreshing to hear people talking about their periods. We don't talk about periods enough. People, humans agree. with periods, should be more open about.
1: <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. I I never feel closer to someone than like when I am connecting with them on like just a. A truth of humanity you know like we talk to people about their Mm -hmm. careers all the time but like we have an upcoming episode with a fellow podcaster and we just talked about driving anxiety for a while and like the closeness I felt to her in that moment cannot be quantified or like anytime I'm talking to someone about being on my period it's and they're like oh yeah I have also had a period story like this and it's like ah we are all but you know consciousness (laughs) and meat
0: that's right (laughs) We'll just have a, we'll have an episode one day that's just all about bodily fluids.
1: <laughs> it's just like fully breaking out of body fluids. Yes. <laughs> or breaking down body fluids. What are all the fluids you deal with on a day-to-day basis <laughs> and how does it affect your filmmaking career? Or not. Or not. Yeah. <laughs> if you think this is a great idea or a terrible idea, send us an email, breaking out of I breaking in pod at gmail.com.
0: Since our new season is gonna be a series of series, we should do one that's like filmmaking while bleeding and you tell your best like story making something while you were on your period
1: or I but I like that it also for people who don't have periods that you can talk about other kinds of bleeding because yeah, like totally. there's definitely been like onset injuries and blood maybe inclusive it could... of yes any kind we we are a blood <laughs> inclusive uh, inclusive we are a blood <laughs> inclusive podcast people and don't you ever say otherwise
0: that's right <laughs> Okay. The
1: energy's all over the place in this episode, Christina. What have you been up to? Let's 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 go back to um, a wonderful time of year, uh, <laughs> August 2020. <laughs> Remember how good August 2020 was. <laughs> I don't even remember what was happening in August 2020. Well, we were gearing up for the most terrifying election of all time. You That's and right. I were I just starting this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, you would just quit your job. You and I <laughs> were having serious conversations about making this cod- podcast, but then uh-huh. also, what if both of us drop out of the film industry because the world ends and we have to completely un- like, change the trajectory <laughs> right. of our lives because we no longer live in the world where it makes sense to do this anymore? Right. And also...
0: like let's have a farm. Yes, exactly. In the middle it's of like, nowhere.
1: <laughs> it's like we got to support the resistance army somehow. So like we may as well have a farm. That's right. Um, <laughs> so I guess, you know, now having listed all of that out, I feel pretty good today, even though I've had yeah. a really bad couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. <laughs> with that in mind, you just quit your job. Mm-hmm. What's next? What What else do you have to update us about? <laughs>
0: um. So in at the end of, Last year, my festival run for Affliction really kind of kicked it up a notch, like August through Halloween season. Basically, that's like a lot of the festivals were in October. So it was like August was busy and then September was a little bit dead, but then October was crazy busy. Like we had seven screenings simultaneously or something, and they were all online. So that was sort of a fun weird but fun period where it was a lot of like zoom conversations and affliction was a film that I think like would have been interesting to watch with an audience but wasn't one where I would have necessarily heard reactions so I didn't necessarily feel like I was missing out and it is kind of a film maybe you want to watch on your couch and kind of like process particularly because there is this sort of heavy subject matter under it so it was you know I think a good film to experiment with online festivals with and we had a lot of fun reactions from people i mean not f- not fun
1: <laughs> sure f- fun is relative
0: yeah like fun for me to see that it was effective right
1: mm-hmm.
0: um but a it lot of afflicting good... people as yes. it was <laughs> yeah a lot of good um screenshots like audience reactions i was able to comments anyway that i was able to to take away and a lot of really good conversations that that, that i was able to record like as q and as which wasn't always the case at live festivals and so just kind of having and also having the actors be able to attend some of them was really lovely because normally that isn't the case with festivals that aren't in New York like um,
1: yeah it's tough to get everyone who's important to a project to all of the the screenings for it
0: yeah and so for that film in particular where there is such a like Internal, sort of like world happening for each of the characters in the film where they're both kind of processing information and they have very different perspectives on what is happening in the world that we're watching. And so to hear the actors be able to talk about that was really fun. That was most of the end of 2020. And then I also, I mean, I got representation, which I've mentioned a bunch. But we, we haven't really
1: talked about it in particular so when you so what what was what went into your decision to like a you know signing with this representation like what was exciting to you what were your expectations what went into that decision
0: it was in September I think September or like very early October that they reached out to me and that was when I was just finishing up I gave I gave like two and a half months notice at Seed&Spark, my old job. And I, so I was just kind of wrapping up things and trying to figure out what I was going to do to make money, but also be able to focus more on my creative career. And the people at OTP Studio came along. They're based in Chicago. And they reached out to me specifically because they were starting a uh, management company that was also going to be an incubator that is now an incubator for for artists, and they wanted me to be one of their like pilot artists that they would do this, this with, where they would manage me and also potentially make one of my projects if they could get financing in place. And the reason they were reaching out to me specifically is because they had a staffing position. They had a, a network show that's like a horror anthology where every episode is a different Horror short, essentially a 30-minute horror short, and they had the opportunity to send samples from artists to be considered for this role. And they reached out to me because I had been on the circuit with the founder Stephanie with my short enough and so that's how we met years ago and also the biz like the head of business development Julie Keck um she and I knew each other way back when when I had Kelsey the web series like she was in the sort of queer women in web series world
1: and And was also a former Sedan Sparker right the the alumni of former Sedan Sparkers is strong y'all
0: that's right, right, but we <laughs> knew each other even before that, um, but that was how we sort of stayed in each other's orbit, so we knew, you know, I, I love her, I, we got along really well, and she had watched a lot more of my work since then, and Stephanie also, I had just released The Gaze on altar, and so it was getting a lot of buzz, and Stephanie had seen that, and so anyway, they reached out to me, and they were like, hey, we want to submit you for this because we think you would be the perfect fit because you make so many horror shorts, but in order to do that, we need to be your manager. We need to represent you. So you have to sign this contract and do you want to do it? And I read it and it seemed totally fair. And I really loved what they were trying to do. And so I signed with them. And then what was great about that was it, pu- it pushed me to write a new sample because I didn't have anything that was quite that length, like a 30 minute horror short. And I had other samples that were longer and shorter, but nothing that was like quite that and so i binged the show on netflix the first season of it and wrote a spec and then i was really into it and i didn't get the job i you know i'd never really got feedback on like what happened there so who knows if they even read me or what it would it would be nice too but unfortunately it doesn't seem to be a common practice um to get feedback and i was later told that the showrunner or the new i think there was a new showrunner hired a writer that they were already familiar with in some way, or maybe they'd already worked with. And so, you know, that's the way this industry works. Mm-hmm. And I like just a tangent on that. I, I think it's interesting because like, if I were a showrunner of something, I would absolutely want to tap all the amazing writers I had met already and who I knew were like hustling and making great work. But then it's like, how does anyone new ever get in without knowing someone? And how do you balance those two things of like wanting to support your peers who you know are amazing but then also not wanting to just like fall into the trap of it's who you know and you can only get in if you know the right people right mm-hmm. um so to be like on the other side of that is interesting cuz I don't necessarily blame that showrunner
1: no right i think it's you know definitely a a frustrating thing and i think a lot of it though is the problem is starts before the showrunner. The problem starts with like who is getting greenlit and who is getting opportunities. Cause like, we know that there is an explosion of distribution opportunities, but like, it seems like, you know, one person will have like eight new jobs and they're in charge of all of it. And the only people they hire, are the people that they already know, Mm -hmm. but they're the only ones getting the first opportunity. So, you know, it's just, it, it silos people more and more. And Maybe there like there there was a period of time a couple of years ago where I felt like there was a lot of incubators for like short form content, like mm-hmm. um, oh, I don't, comedy crib at IFC and MTV Other. And there were like a lot of like traditional production companies and like networks were, were doing these little hubs. There felt like there was a lot of opportunity for like finding new talent and like experimenting on stuff and letting them go forward. But nobody ever wants to put any money in that. Mm-hmm. And so they all kind of died off. Yeah. <laughs> before they really had an opportunity to move and so like the problem is there's tons of money to be developing new voices and new shows things that people are really gonna like and you know that there is a market for but like it seems too risky and nobody wants to put any money towards that and so we continue marching along with like no opportunities that's right <laughs> that's my mini rant i'm sorry please continue
0: <laughs> no so so what came out of that though is that i had this new sample that i really loved and it wasn't specific to this series because it is an anthology so it's like it's you build you build a whole new world with every episode right so then I was like well let me just do revise this and make it really its own thing and I did and and that ended up branching off into essentially my own idea for a horror anthology more of like it's like horror but horror comedy and it's not really like Every episode has its own feel a little bit, but it's unified by a location and unified by it all being about hauntings mm-hmm. because that was like a ghost story, the, the sample that I wrote. And so that was cool because now I have this whole sort of Bible with episode outlines for eight episodes. I've written parts of some of them. I haven't written the whole thing, but that's a, what I'd spent a lot of 2021 working on was revising the pilot and then writing new episodes or coming up with new episodes and now I'm really excited about it and really want to make it and have no money to do so. So that's its own thing because that's my pattern of like, I write something, I fall in love with it as a director, like with my director, I, and then I want to make it, but have no money. Um, mm-hmm. But the pilot like placed, it was a winner in 13 horror screenplay contest, which was cool. And then, oh, one of the episodes or like a proof of concept for a longer version of an episode of that same thing that placed in the semifinals of Holly Short's screenwriting competition, which was cool because like if it had won it, the grand prize was $10,000 to make it. So that was one that was kind of worth the money in my mind, but obviously I didn't win that, but I made the semifinals, which was nice. I feel like I'm doing all the talking. So what was the end of your 2020 like?
1: I mean, the end of my 2020 was, I think, fairly well documented. I don't think anything happened. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, I still have all the same jobs that I did last year. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still at Seed and Spark. I'm although thankfully back to my full pay because uh, I think we probably talked about this at one point is, you know, as with a lot of people in 2020, there were some financial difficulties, especially in the startup world. So we were at a 30% pay cut for, I think most, if not all of 2020, like as yeah. of February, March, 2020, I had, I had just gotten a not promotion, but cause I I've always been at the same um, position, but I got it a raise. I got my first raise ever. And immediately got a 30% pay cut. So I was now making less than what I was making before my raise. I had like a week of a raise and then nothing. But thankfully, you know, we, we carried on and I'm back at full pay. So that's exciting. Uh, I still work for the two um, graduate programs that I teach for. This will probably come up later. Uh, I still actually freelance for Starable, the position, the full time position I had prior to Seed and Spark. So i that's still a thing. Uh, And I'm also very much still like freelance consulting occasionally, like those are more sort of slapdash. But my most recent Uh, consulting gig came actually out of one of the screenplay competitions that I placed in at the Stowe Story Labs, the one that I applied for the day after we recorded Jerry Maravilla's Mm -hmm. episode of this podcast where he talked about Stowe Story Labs. And so I was like, just kind of casually looking it up because he mentioned it. And their application deadline was the next day. And you could submit a web series script. And because I had recently written Dead on Arrival, my, my pilot sample as a web series. I did a big rewrite based on actually notes that Christina gave me so it's very related to (laughs) Booby. Jerry got me to apply Christina helped me prepare the script so it was good enough to do so. I had like a fevered all night writing session applied to snow story labs was a finalist actually for the Holly Shorts um, fellowship. Funny enough so Holly shout out to Holly Shorts for supporting Booby. Uh, yeah. Indirectly <laughs> and didn't get the fellowship, which would have been very helpful. However, I did get a scholarship to Stowe Story Labs, which ultimately was sort of the reason that I, I decided to go because it's one of the programs that you have to pay for. So that's something to definitely yeah. consider. Uh, and because it was remote because of the novel coronavirus, right. I wasn't going to get to like actually go to a retreat So, you know, I don't think I could have justified paying for the program to just be on Zoom for five days. Mm -hmm. But because I did get a scholarship, because my my script had gone far enough through in the finalists that that helped a lot. And so I ended up getting a an Airbnb for a couple of days just nearby my childhood home, but like slightly more remote so that it could kind of feel like a retreat and attended Story Labs in June May or like between the end of May, early June. So that was like the first big thing I did. And it was also one of the first competitions that I submitted for this year. Um, So that was an interesting experience that I can talk about now or we can come back to I don't know how chronologically we want to Take this. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I think it can be like loose. <laughs> I honestly, if we did it chronological, I would be like, wait, where the, <laughs> like, time, what is time? You know, yeah. I feel like 2020 took forever and then 2021 went by really fast.
1: Yes, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: so, uh, yeah, what is a year? Like, it doesn't feel like we're near the end of 2021. It's, yeah. I know. It feels like
1: we've been doing this podcast for 10 years and also <laughs> yes. we started yesterday.
0: Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> Both of those things are true <laughs> at the same time.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else like that is significant. Into <laughs> I also, I mean, Game Brunch, I, could, I guess before you yeah. go into your st- full experience with that, Game Brunch was on the circuit all throughout 2021. So that kind of gave me some sense of time because I had big gaps. Like it, it premiered in February and then it didn't do anything until again, um, April, May, and then had like a few screenings then and then it was dead again until like end of June into July and then was really dead until October when it had like four happening at once. And in total, we had around 12 screenings. and I, I only submitted to like 15, I think, because I didn't know what this year would look like and it's kind of a weird, it's a weird film because it's like a comedy, but it's also dark and has this supernatural sort of world that it exists in and so i was kind of like do i submit to horror festivals mm-hmm. i ultimately didn't end up doing so for the most part um unless they very specifically screen like weird comedy not quite horror type things which um like chattanooga film festival i think was our biggest one where it got oh my like that festival i've never experienced in person but i'd always heard it's so fun because audience attendance and engagement is like Like, you get so many people showing up and so many people, like, who are just fans. Like, they love movies and they show up just because of that. They're not filmmakers. They're not critics. They just, like, buy their ticket every year. And it was really the festival that replicated that experience online. And Hmm. Horrible Imaginings was, like, amazing last year. And also this year they had a similar vibe. But Chattanooga was, like, on a whole other level where – we had at least 20 letterboxd reviews for Game Brunch from, from just like random viewers. And like, when wow. does that ever happen for a short film, you know? Yeah. So it's a festival where people really paid attention to the shorts in a way that is not common. So often people are all about the features and like, especially when there are big names. But this festival was really into the shorts and we got so many reviews and so much just like, general engagement because of it and they they had created a um discord that was so active like I was just sort of watching it like lurking I wasn't really engaging all that much (laughs) but just seeing how active it was and people were live they would watch a movie live and then like be you know sort of as if they were to live tweeting but it was in discord so there's like live chatting and some of them would do it with game brunch so I would get these like great sort of pull quotes that they didn't even know I was screenshotting necessarily. (laughs) Um, so yeah, that was really fun. And then I also got to have, I think three, at least three, um, in-person screenings. And so I was just going to ask
1: like, yeah, tell us about your first in-person screening in almost two years.
0: Yeah. The first one was in June and it was in a tent outside (laughs) and it was a little disappointing because it was during the day. So lighting wise, it wasn't, Amazing. It wasn't um,
1: the vibe you were going for necessarily. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was a little bit hard to see, especially because it's a daylight film, so it's already That's like fair. pretty bright. So you're not really seeing the whites, you know, it's pretty blown out in like a white tent. But it was really fun to hear laughter. Like there were probably only about 30 people in the room, but to hear laughter at the moments I was hoping was. Really fun, you know. Like that was really what I wanted. I was disappointed about Game Brunch, and I specifically held it from the twenty twenty circle circuit because I wanted to hear people's reactions, and I was hoping I would get to in twenty twenty one. And I and I did. Did I say twenty twenty one when I meant twenty twenty? I don't remember. But I think I think
1: you're roughly on track. You said it correctly (laughs) enough times. I think people got it.
0: Okay, (laughs) so that was fun. I did notice that I was. Very out of practice for a Q and A after a year and a half of not talking in front of a crowd, and I, the very first time I stood up and they, my name was said when they introduced me, I backed up, and because it was in a tent, the ground was unsteady, and I almost tripped oh no. on a branch that was like sticking out of the ground, and so. That was super awkward. And then I was just really awkward from that point forward trying to get through an introduction. And so that was very funny to me. Um, not in the moment. I was, right. you know, like a little mortified, but uh, I recovered, I think. <laughs> and then the second time I had to do a and I was much better at it. I had gotten my groove back. But yeah, it was really fun. We We, I never actually got to see it in a theater. It was always in these weird kind of event spaces because it was still during, you know, COVID. It was mm-hmm. after being vaccinated, but still like a little iffy about putting people in a very contained space. So it was sure. more like wide open spaces, but still getting to see it on a big screen was was really fun. And yeah, it was just, that was, it was really nice to be back in that world. And like the very first festival we went to was upstate. So it was me, Justin, my husband, Kelsey. Friend of the pod, Kelsey or Helper and friend of the pod, Danny Thomas, who are also married. Uh, we all went upstate together, so it was like a little mini vacation for us too. And yeah, it was just really nice to like be around people again. <laughs> you know, like be around especially creative people and just having creative energy, even if we were all sort of spread out. <laughs> there was like the vibes of of just artists being artists, which was fun.
1: Yeah, you just you can't recreate that in the virtual space. Like the last podcast that you guys listened to was the Burnout episode where I was a little bit complaining about having just gone to Michigan. And I either had I I think I had also just gone to New York. But like, Michigan was hard, just because it was the first time I'd done a work trip in a really long time. And it was a long trip. And I had a lot of things to do while I was there. And then I didn't really get a chance to, to take a break until, frankly, way too long afterwards. But Holy shit, that was a great trip. Like, mm-hmm. I went to Hell's Half Mile and Freep Film Festival. Freep, less so. I, I was, that one's not as central of a festival, obviously, because it's in Detroit. So it was mm-hmm. hard. And I was at the end of my trip and I was like, I can't. I I will do the event and then I will go to the hotel and sleep for 24 hours but Mm -hmm. like Hell's Half Mile when I still had a little bit of energy left was incredible I was like on the verge of tears the entire weekend because I just I was basically immediately adopted by this group of guys uh, because it was mostly guys I looked around myself at the very first event I attended and I was like there is one other woman in this room and she's about to leave because she works for this company the the festival and has to go get work done Mm -hmm. so that was interesting but I'm always at ease around Around men, for better or worse. (laughs) And so like a group of like five guys who kind of bonded together sort of adopted me for the weekend. And we like went and got coffee together and we chatted and we got dinner and we went to screenings and stuff like that. And it was just it was so lovely to just like be around strangers again oh, with yeah. energy of everyone being excited about like getting to watch their films and watch each other's films and what they were making, you know, and I, I haven't been in production since officially since May, 2019. Cause that was when I directed buy-in or not buy-in when I directed better with you, the web series that my friend, Amanda Taylor wrote. And before that I hadn't been on my own set since Mid twenty or early twenty eighteen, I think, because I shot buy in in January twenty eighteen, and then we I think we shot Salmon Patterer Depressed season two, not long after that, or maybe we had even done that, yeah, not long after that. Sometime in twenty eighteen is when we shot um, Salmon Patterer Depressed But like, point being, it's been a while since I've been on set, and like, I think I was, I think I mentioned it on this podcast that I was kind of burned out from producing for a while, just because it's a lot of work and like there, you know, there's just no more money. <laughs> there was not money at the time. And I was feeling like stuck and like, you know, nothing is happening with this. So like, what's the point? And then I went to hell's half mile. And like, instantly, I was breaking out my, um my script breakdown template mm-hmm. and starting to break down a project that fingers crossed might even happen in 2022. Uh, because like, I remembered why I did it. And it's not about right. like, what it can do in the future. It's about I love being on set and I love yeah, having the too. excuse to talk about my work with people. And it's hard to yeah. just talk about things you're writing in the abstract it's much more fun to talk about like your plans and hearing how people you know took time out of their lunch break to shoot their shorts and like all of the different mm-hmm. ways that were you know one of the guys that I met there he he was an actor actually he wasn't a producer but he was an actor there it this was his first film festival because he mostly did theater this was his first feature film lead role and the creators couldn't come but they asked if he wanted to go to the festival on their behalf and so he did and he told me the story about how when he auditioned for the film. He just like randomly saw a post for it on Facebook and or like, you know, one of the listings and he was living like 16 hours away at the time and he took a Greyhound bus for 16 hours, immediately went to the audition, booked the part and went right back home and then ended up moving permanently to Chicago where it was shot to like shoot it and then like stuck around because he loved the process so much. But like mm-hmm. that's crazy. He, yeah. he took a 16 hour Greyhound bus ride to, you know, be a part of an indie feature for people he's never met. That's I awesome. love that. And yeah. I love getting to hear about that and how excited he clearly still is about like the process and how proud he is. And like, you can hear that on you know a chat room or a discord but like getting to like watch his face light up and like getting him to like show me pictures on his phone and like gush about you know his his uh the creative team behind the feature it's like there's nothing like that and then walking into like a historic theater and having like a bunch of people turn around and like wave at you because they saved you a spot so that you could sit down and watch local michigan short films together and like ooh and ah over it's just I'm gushing now, but like it was it was really special and I forgot. I think I let myself think, you know, that that wasn't as important to me as it actually is. Yeah. And I'm glad. I'm glad I had that reset. I really needed it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it definitely gave me perspective as well like in in 2020 because I had gotten so used to just like living in my little apartment and doing everything through Zoom. I had forgotten how much I though I am an introvert like generally Mm -hmm. at my core I get energized from other people and it's hard for me to energize myself Mm -hmm. like it's hard for me to get excited about a thing until I start talking about it with other people and I start feeling their energy and so being back at festivals even though I only really got to attend like I think three maybe four before before Delta became a really big thing and then I basically came back inside and have stayed inside Um, but in that period like being around people again made me remember just how much I love collaborating with people and talking with other people about filmmaking and I think also just over the last year I did a lot of soul searching about what it is I want to be pursuing really you know and like In our last episode, I talked about feeling really directionless. And I do still feel – not directionless. I think I have more sense of direction even just like a month or – yeah, a month later since we Mm -hmm. recorded that. But I still feel like it's out of my control. Like there isn't a path for me to go down. But I'm getting a little bit more of a sense of what it is I'm after because what I think – The OTV signing with them and then, like, having a staffing position sort of waved in front of me put me on this path of, like, oh, I need to get staffed because that is a thing that I almost had and then didn't, and now that's a trajectory I need to follow. But I've always been so, like, not interested in working on a show that's seasons in. And it's, like, not world building, but it's just, like, replicating Mm -hmm. A world and characters and voices that have been established like that's never really appealed to me but I think I got caught up in this like need to have that as a success marker of like oh I'm gonna get staffed and because I can't be directing right now and I can't be making anything that's what I can pursue but I've always been so like one foot in it and one foot totally not at all. And like, even just t- not wanting to move to LA and all of that. And so I've definitely come to the conclusion that I do, like, I would love to be paid to write, but not quite in in that way. Like, I'm really interested in sort of the Mike Flanagan <laughs> sort of version of TV where it's like, he wrote and directed some horror features and then got to showrun run his own limited series that he also directs every episode of. Like that's sort of a a version of of what I actually have always wanted and do still want. And I think I rediscovered my love of directing. Like I've always, I've always obviously loved directing, but having not done it for so long and having not been around actors and, and all of that, I think I was like, okay, writing is what I need to be pursuing right now. And, I, and, you know, I remember when we talked to Kim Garland for one of our episodes, she was very much like, you have to choose a path. And that was the advice that she got. And that's what has worked for her. And I get that and I see that and, like, how it can be successful. That's not me. Like, that mm-hmm. is, at the end of the day, not me. Like, I'm a writer-director, you know? And so I think I'm much more, at least I have an idea of what I'm really – Going after, and that has given me some energy to take into the new year, but I still don't quite know how I'm going to accomplish that path without funding. But yeah, that's like the soul searching I've done over the last year, sort of come to that conclusion. And I had, I think, part of that was like a directing opportunity that I had that is still up in the air, and I can talk about that. But I feel like we should go back to you talking about Stowe.
1: <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm happy to just continue listening to you talk. But yeah, so Stowe was the the first thing that I that like was like a marker of success, because like even before a pandemic happened, I had decided at the beginning of 2020 that, you know, in my disillusionment, I was like, I'm not going to be on set for this year. Or if I am like, it's just I'm going to let it happen if it happens. But like my goal for this year is not to produce a bunch of new stuff. It's to write stuff that is unproducible specifically because I have not had a new sample since 2017. And Mm -hmm. then 2020 happened and I kind of didn't do anything. In fact, I did the opposite of that, which is I turned the pilot script Dead on Arrival that I had written as first a half hour pilot. And then because I wrote two episodes of it, because I liked the story so much, um, I ended up combining them into a single hour long pilot and when that still wasn't enough, because I really liked the story, I was like, I wonder what this would look like as a web series. And that was actually what I was working on. When Christina, me and Jerry Maravia did a Lunch and Learn for Seed and Spark, funny enough, talking about like writing processes very, very early in the pandemic. And that's what I was working on was this web series. And so that's the only thing that I actually finished in 2020. By the skin of my teeth, I wrote a web series, a 10 episode web series that got less and less producible as I wrote, because that That's always how I do it. Like my stories get more serious as they go. They always start as a joke and then get progressively more serious as the series progresses. And also 100% of the time gets more expensive the further into the season I get because I kind of just lose my mind a little bit. And so I really love the web series because I always liked that story. And, you know, it was sort of a, a reason to be working on stuff. And then that happens to be the only piece of my writing that has consistently gotten anything for me. So that was what got into Stowe. It was also what was a second rounder for Austin Film Festival, a festival that I have submitted to countless times and I've always mm-hmm. gotten like good notes and then like one or two of the judges just like hated me. Mm-hmm. So it's like that I I've I've always been like almost in to Progress at Austin Film Festival. And then this freaking web series right after I was like, I'm moving away from New York, I'm not doing production anymore, but I do have this web series script that I wrote largely so I could finish the story of Dead on Arrival. Because, like, that's what I do like about web series is because it's short form, you can get to the end of the story easier than, like, when you're writing full, length pilots, which is always frustrating to me. Um, And then that keeps doing things. We can talk about that later. But so my Stowe story, like... Uh, so there's a couple of things about Stowe that were really interesting. Some were great, some were not so great. So I already talked about how it's something that you have to pay for. So you have to pay to attend. Normally, it's set. It's in Stowe, Vermont. So you actually go to Vermont and like are on site and like attending. It's like part residency kind of like it's like a lab and you're it's like a summer camp it's like a weekend camp where you go away for a little while and you write and you're in the room talking to people um, and the structure of Stowe I think they maintained in the virtual space obviously I don't know what it was like previous to COVID but the way that it works is that bef- like a couple of weeks before the program starts you're matched up with a group of like four to five people and you are a peer group and they group you generally on like styles. So like my group was all mostly television or, or act- no, actually, that's not even true. it's There was three feature writers in there uh, and then two of us were series writers, but we were all like doing horror, supernatural, mystery kind of stuff, uh, which mm-hmm. works out. Dead on Arrival, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, Dead on Arrival is a mystery ghost story where a woman moves to new york to live on her own for the first time in her life and is confronted by the fact that her studio apartment is haunted by a ghost and so in frustration of not getting to have a even studio apartment to herself for the love of god she launches into a full-blown murder uh, investigation to ostensibly get rid of this ghost. You know, she's trying to fulfill mm-hmm. her her quote unquote unfinished business, but along the way it becomes much bigger than that. And so that's what Dead it's on Arrival is. Fun. And it's silly and stupid and exactly the kind of shit that I want to be writing. And uh so that was luckily the vibe of the peer group. Some people's were darker than that, but like there was it was a good peer. It was a really, really good peer group. And then the structure of Stowe was um it's split into like three different sort of main tracks. They are sort of interstitched throughout the five days of the program. So there's peer group where you have five sessions because we were a group of five, and you have five one-hour sessions, and they give you the order of whose scripts you're going over. So the first session we have an hour to give notes and critiques, and you know talk about one person's script, and then on and on and on. So mine was actually the last day; I was the last person to go. Um, So it's just like a writers room or a writers group essentially, and it was one. Wonderful, and it was the first time I'd had that in so long and it was so needed. I hadn't really gotten to just like sit and hear people talk about my work and like, pitch ideas in so long and that was really lovely and then the second track is mentor meetings where this is where actually julie keck joins my story julie keck (laughs) (laughs) is sort of an unofficial friend of the pod in many ways so because she was one of the mentors through her work at otv where they get like industry people everyone from like uh one or two managers and agents people from production companies people who are like you know screenwriters and like paid screenwriters and that kind of thing and i don't know how they pick these, but you end up with three mentor meetings where it's you and a group of like five or six people that aren't your peer group. So this is not the same mm-hmm. as your writer's group. And you have three chances to pitch to the industry mentor, you, you we were supposed to develop a three minute pitch ahead of time, and then they give feedback on your pitch. So I'll come back to that in a second. But then the third track was just like, in depth talks
0: panels
1: so this was the part that like i was really disappointed in because largely what they did was the mentors they just had like separate sessions that were longer where the people who run Stowe would like interview the mentors so like they would interview the agent the literary agent that was one of the mentors and they would interview you know they would have a couple people on a panel and they would kind of talk about their careers but Having been someone that's programmed for events and like festivals before, I was pretty disappointed by just like the structure of these events because it was very surface level stuff. It was very like I listened to a couple of podcasts with some of the mentors before Stowe just to like prepare myself for meeting them. And it was the exact same information I got for free separately that I was getting in these sessions. And like there it, it was just sort of like formless And Hmm. informational and inspirational. And like, Mm -hmm. I mean, people seemed, according to the zoom chat, very excited about these conversations. But for me, I'm like, I mean, if I want to just hear this person's like general thoughts, I'll go to listen to the eight other podcasts that I know that they've done, like, if we have them here, Like, what what am I supposed to do with this information? So like, I was definitely disappointed that that was so much of the programming and nothing was really happening. And like, to be fair, I imagine if I was there in person, if somebody like I was vibing with what they were talking about on stage, like. Well, we're all staying at this little Vermont, you know, getaway. So Mm -hmm. being able to go up to people after the fact, getting to network with more people beyond my peer group, which wasn't really possible, like that probably would have been a much bigger aspect of it. And so I definitely know that I missed out on that. But like Mm -hmm. overall, if you have these like high powered, like paid screenwriters coming in and talking I feel like it was an opportunity to get a little bit more practical, a little bit more case study-y. And like if we were good enough to get into the program, it almost feels like make some more opportunities, you know, like hook. And so with that, that brings me to the mentor meetings, which were also a little bit weird. I now have like a solid three minute pitch of Dead on Arrival which I am happy, like, that was useful. The problem is that all three of the people I ended up pitching to, one was the literary agent that was there, one was Julie Keck, and one Mm -hmm. was uh, a screenwriter who actually seems like he's a similar writer to me in some ways. But all of them had very different, like, things they were looking for. Like, obviously, a literary agent needs different things from a pitch versus, Mm -hmm. like a screenwriter who just wants to like talk about craft. So a lot of the advice was very contradictory. And there was also not really a clear through line of like, what they all thought the pitch was for like the literary agent felt seemed like he felt like the pitch was supposed to be to get him to like sign people which I know he wasn't there to do and no (laughs) one else thought that and that obviously like the target you know Christina and I have taught enough pitch classes at this point like the goal of a pitch is really important and I had asked them a bunch of questions ahead of time of like what's the goal of the pitch like what am I and they were like just write three minutes about your thing and I was like I mean that's nothing but okay (laughs) yeah but because none of between the mentors there wasn't a consistent like agreement on what the pitch purpose was mm-hmm, it made mm-hmm. it a real big mess and so i came out of each session having a totally different like take on what a pitch is supposed to be, which is not very helpful. Mm -hmm. And in none of the cases that I really get a chance to like talk to the mentor about the work, none of the mentors had read the work, you know, Mm -hmm. that Mm I like one of them had actually read the my bio beforehand. So like he had a little bit of context, but like, no one's reading my work, no one's giving me actual feedback. And none of these meetings are actually like, For the purposes of getting more meetings after they were just sort of static conversations that I had 10 minutes with I had three minutes to do my pitch, and then they had seven minutes to ask questions and critique me and then we moved on to somebody else. And Mm -hmm. so even though I was in the room with a literary agent, I couldn't actually talk to him about like what he or pe- his peers look for and, you know, how what stage of a career he felt it was appropriate to engage in re- representative on. And now mm-hmm. that we're in this program, how do we leverage it to like get more opportunities and that there was just there was no place for that. There was no time. There was no opportunity. I wonder,
0: I wonder if it because when it's like on location in Vermont and you're all there staying mm-hmm. there, if you would have gotten that in a normal year. Yeah,
1: I don't know. Because, yeah, they were not made available to us during networking unless they, like, chose to be there. Mm. But, like, yeah, I imagine, like, afterwards, we could have exchanged business cards or something. Because, like, I don't even have the email address of the literary agent in particular and then a handful of other people that just, like, didn't make them available. And there wasn't really an appropriate way to be like, hi, I'm one of the, like, faceless Zoom people that you might have noticed in the background. Can I get your email address like that's a totally different vibe from like going up to somebody after a talk saying hi what up so like that was disappointing the thing that I got so but like trying to spin it positively the thing that I got out of Stowe is like being able to say that I was in the Stowe Story Labs and I'm a finalist that made my cover fly score go up because I was a finalist for one of their fellowships and Mm -hmm. also my writers group was really lovely so I've kept in touch with many of them one of whom actually invited me to a writers group that she has in uh, Los Angeles she lives not far away from me And was like, hey, my writer's group is looking for new members. Like, do you want me to submit you for it? And that has been wonderful. I've already met with them once. And it was they completely like, change the way I think about my pilot, which I'm so excited about. So that's a huge get. Um, and then one of my other uh, Stowe group members, she lives on the East Coast, but does a lot in education. And so she's become a colleague of mine in, like, screenwriting education worlds. And so cool. that has been really valuable as well. So I did get a lot out of that. Awesome Film Festival, I got nothing out of. I got mm-hmm. a discount to next year's festival, which made me go minorly viral on screenwriting Twitter. <laughs> because I had a tweet right after I saw that where it's like, you're a second rounder. You get a slight discount to attend our wildly overpriced film festival. And then also you can get a slight discount to our wildly overpriced submissions for next year so that we can do this all again. And I did a tweet that was about how girls don't want Uh, like discounts to next year's festival girls want meetings because this has been like the consistent thing I've come up with Mm -hmm. is like what is the point of your screenwriting contest if we're not doing anything with it like you clearly have access to people so if you're going to say that I'm a good writer good enough to like put my name on your website then like put your money where your mouth is friend like put me in a room you know you don't have to guarantee anything but like for the love of God, like let me talk to somebody for five minutes about my work, knowing that they may have even read it at that point. Like, yeah. what are we doing here?
0: <laughs> two uh, two follow ups on that. Austin Film Festival was also trending on Twitter for a ne- negative reason. Yeah, <laughs> which we, we we can talk about in our uh, in one of our Patreon bonus episodes. But, oh yeah, yeah, they had a ra- very racist pitch this year that mm-hmm. they unfortunately put in the finals for some reason. And the other thing, I also had a, a like viral tweet this year about, so another thing that has come out of the year because the like incubator aspect of OTV is is that they will try and get a project of yours off the ground. And so I'm hoping that they can get Silent Night, my future that I wrote way back in 2016 and have revised a whole bunch since then. I'm hoping they can really get that finally kind of financed. And so I spent a lot of this year revising it to really get it to where I want it to be and just like production ready. And part of that was submitting to some screenwriting contests where I would get feedback from because everyone I know has read it. So I was like, I can't keep asking the same people to read Mm -hmm. it again and again. Uh, And so I did that. But one of one bit of feedback I got was like kind of racist. (laughs) And so I just tweeted something. It was like poorly worded too, because I tweeted at like midnight before I was going to go to sleep. And then I woke up to it just having gone off the rails viral, but it was just about like wishing I could see demographic information about who the people are that give you the feedback. Um, but basically I just wanted to be like, this is a white woman and I want confirmation that this is a white woman so I can contextualize her feedback. But, uh, That went sort of viral and it definitely made me realize I like fame is not for me (laughs) because (laughs) the idea of that being my life where like strangers are interacting with me constantly like for 24 hours I just hated Twitter I was like stop liking it stop responding stop quote tweeting I just wanted it to stop even though it was like it grew my Twitter following I was like 25 away from being four thousand followers for like a year and it finally got me over that hump but it was sort of meaningless you know Mm -hmm. but i hated it and it made me turn notifications off on my phone yeah i was gonna say you can definitely
1: you can mute particular tweets so that you just don't get notifications on that
0: right but it's like this morbid curiosity of wanting to see because it's not about the notification
1: it's the fact that you know it's still happening
0: It's still happening. Exactly. And most people were very, like, in agreement. I had, like, two people be trolly about it. They were white people, of course.
1: Yes. Well, could have been
0: unsaid. (laughs) Right. But I – so I was – like, I didn't want to not know the responses, even though I didn't want the responses, you know? So – But it did finally push me to turn notifications off on my phone, like no push notifications. And I have not turned them on since it's been like six months. And so that has changed my life drastically, I would say. (laughs) Like I still I now it's like I have designated periods of time where I check Twitter to see if anything has come in as opposed to just like anytime someone responds or likes something, I get a notification to my phone. Especially because I do turn on alerts for friends, like close friends, just to see their tweets and I Mm -hmm. instead of like having to be scrolling or having to go to their profiles. And so now those don't come directly to my phone.
1: Yeah, I bet that's that's (laughs) probably nice. I'll never I mean, I'm at the I'm still at the point where no, I need to see. I need to know. (laughs)
0: Also speaking of silent night, I have a feedback session with Lily Wachowski which is really cool. Um, It's through OTV because she's a mentor through OTV's new incubator sort of side of the company. So she read it, which I think is awesome. She may hate it. (laughs) She (laughs) She may have like notes for me that are just like, nah, you shouldn't make this, but maybe it'll be good. And so I'm excited about that. And that's a really cool thing that has come out of OTB.
1: Oh, I should say something that came out of Stowe. It's like nothing, but it's something is that so when you're they, they made a participant book, like you had to submit a bio, the one paragraph synopsis of the piece that got you into Stowe and then like your contact info. And like, a couple of days after Stowe happened, somebody emailed me from a production company attached to one of the mentors. So, like one of the mentors had like sent the participant book to like, you know, somebody at their office. and they, reached out to a handful of people asking to see the script that got them in because it sounded kind of interesting and like this person in fact was specifically mentioned like oh it's cool that uh, you know because in my synopsis I make it very clear that the main character of my script is asexual because that's one of the that's one of my things that's the brand Mm -hmm. and she was like yeah I've never seen a show with an asexual character let alone an asexual like lead character and I had like a short email exchange with this woman um, where we talked about like the handful of asexual characters we both knew about and like how Disney it was. And I could bring out a lot of research I have done personally that, you know, led to a lot of things. And so that was lovely. And then I have not heard back. (laughs) It's Mm. been six months at this point. So nothing actually happened. But like, that's the thing that I was looking for is like, Put me in front of people. Clearly, yeah. you thought I was good enough to be considered and to be a participant and to like put me in front of people. You didn't think I was going to embarrass you. You gave me this opportunity and you gave me a lot of money off of the opportunity. So you are more connected with than me. Just being at your program like being able to say it, like the validation is nice, but it's not useful to me. But you know how you can directly be useful to me. Uh And so I I felt a little bit underwhelmed. But it seems like they, it's like they have all the pieces there. And so I, you know, I'm not saying don't ever submit to Stowe. Certainly once they're back in person, I can imagine if you can budget for it or you get a scholarship, how just lovely that would have been as just like a trip of like revitalizing, talking about the stuff that Christine and I were talking about earlier. of Just being around creative people and actually getting to like spend time with your your writers group outside mm-hmm. of the Zoom one hour that would like self-destruct as soon as time was up. <laughs> Right. So, you know, there, there, there's pros and cons, but just to to be transparent about what my my uh, experience was. There was a lot of good stuff that I got out of it. I learned a lot. Um, I don't think I would go again or mm-hmm. uh, submit again, even if they, you know, once they're back in person. I don't think I don't think that program is for me. I think I'm officially at the level where just developing is not really the phase that I'm in anymore. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, yeah. so, but now I have a writer's group that I got through connections I made at Stowe. So like, you know, right. I, I, I think I got out of it what I could and what they were mm-hmm. able to offer. And I'm glad I did it, but I won't do it again.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, <laughs> I think that's a lot of these experiences. Like it's often not what we expected or hoped, but there's always some sort of kernel of something really tangible.
1: Yeah, I make. I mean, we talked about it in the film school episode, right? It's like mm-hmm. both of us were very much like we went to film school or kind of film school. Mm-hmm. It wasn't what we thought it was going to be. It's not what is usually promised, but you get out of things, what you put in. So like I made an effort to keep in touch with the people from my writers group after we left Stowe, you know, I made Mm -hmm. an effort of like reaching out to people and making connections. Like I said, somebody in Stowe, like the last day put in the zoom chat that they were looking for somebody to like consult on their web series marketing plan. And I like instantly DM would them like, yo, what's up? And I got a paid gig out of that, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's great. So it's, it's really just about like, you know, don't just be there like a lump and expect people to come to you, like put the energy out. And like, it's frustrating when people are supposed to be in charge of putting you in front of people and they're not doing that. But that's not Mm -hmm. an excuse to not do it yourself. Like if you're going to be there, you may as well make it worth your time. That's right.
0: I also had two experiences this year that I think were like kind of really validating in a way that I wanted. Because one of the frustrations I've had all year is I would write something new like Little Whispers, my pilot that I've turned into the name of the series as a whole, and then kind of take it to my managers and be like, I want to direct this. Can we find funding for it? And then they're sort of like, well, you should maybe shoot a proof of concept for it so that we could keep you attached as director if we got money. And that's such a frustrating thing because it's like, how many fucking things do I have to direct for you to know that I can direct anything I want. Before my concept
1: direct. has been proved.
0: Yeah, like I've directed two features. I've directed a fucking dozen shorts, 10 episodes of web series. Like, yeah, they've been mostly on no money. But like, imagine if I had money. Look what I'm able to do with no money. Like, give me some fucking money, you know. And like this year I won Best Director. I won, I for last year I was a runner-up for Best Director at with my other film. Like, I can direct, you know? And Mm -hmm. so that was a frustrating thing. And what I, what I think it's hard because I don't, I know that this job, this, this industry is all about pitching yourself Mm -hmm. regardless of your previous experience and like selling yourself and I don't want it to be like, I expect people to like know who I am, you know, but there is a little bit of like, at some point, can't people start coming to me, you know, can't Mm -hmm. they start just coming to me and be like, I like your voice and your work and I want you to make more things. So here's some money or here's an opportunity. And so, um, I did have two experiences this year that were in that realm, which was really nice. So one was, way early in the year i don't remember when because what is time um <laughs> it was this canadian show that's on shudder or about to be on shudder that is again another like horror anthology type of thing um and this was writing not directing but it's still kind of in this point that i'm making and in terms of writing like being staffed that is the one thing i am very interested in being staffed on is Something where I would get to build a world with each episode. So like an anthology of that nature. Sure. So, Because I love short films, right? So like anything that's just like, it's a new short film that we're writing. I would love that. So this was that. It was sort of like uh, Tales from the Crypt, Twilight zone type thing. They reached out to me. It was kind of weird because they were a room full of men and they reached out to me. I had been recommended by a peer that we had in common who sent them some of my work and they liked my voice as a, as like, yes, it was directing that they were sent, but it was stuff I had written. So it was like your voice as a horror writer. Mm-hmm. They reached out to me specifically because they were writing an episode that they realized they should probably have a woman's perspective for. So that was kind of like, um excuse me, like, A, you have a room with no women in it and B, it didn't occur to you that you maybe need a woman's perspective until this one episode, which was about a pregnancy And so like the fact that women are only required in that particular, so it was a a little bit like this makes me roll my eyes, but also I'm excited. Mm -hmm. And so I submitted a sample and I didn't get it. They said that they had reached out to a few people, but I got really amazing feedback. They loved my sample. They had very specific things that they loved about it. So that Mm. was really cool to like have that opportunity and get actual feedback and be close and to just have someone reach out to me, like out of the blue in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had another one that's more recent. It just was about a month ago and that one's very exciting. A producer for a new production company reached out to me wanting to have me interview and pitch for a directing job for a feature a horror feature With real money, like it would be like half a million dollar budget potentially. And uh, I'm still waiting to hear back, but the fact that they were like, we loved the gaze and affliction and we love your ability to blend social issues and messages with genre and not lose like the horror and the fun of a genre movie of a horror movie, but also get a message across like that. We love that about your work. And so to have the opportunity to pitch it and then I love the script. So it was like, this is a situation where I would love to direct for hire because I love the script. I love the mm-hmm. source material that I'm working off of and I would be collaborating with the writer and with the producer and I wouldn't have to be the producer on set. Like I could just direct and that is so rarely the case. I mean, it's literally never the case for me. It's right. just never been. Yeah. So um, I don't know if anything will come of that, but- the, the pitch deck I put together, I really loved. like It was so fun to get excited about a script and to think like a director in that way and to build a world for something, uh, like a visual world in particular. And so I'm obviously still hoping that I get it. I'm not going to hear back until the new year. But even if I don't, it was a great experience and I think great new connections to have for totally. future work. And I would just like to put out into the universe that I would like more of that please.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think, Hey universe, both of us are available for directing, uh, for hire and for being in your writer's room. So if you know of opportunities for either of us, let us know. I'm also for the record available for marketing consulting, specifically for short form content. Um, certainly my niche is web series, but Mm -hmm. Hey, get, get, get to us. We, we have expertise.
0: That's right. I also want to put out into the universe, a very specific, request or just you know feeler I made a lot of short films starring my cats over the last year <laughs> one minute short sometimes less sometimes slightly more I think I've, I found that I have endless ideas for how to have a punchline with my cats in various genres and if any cat brand would like to pay me to make these hey fancy feast. food Exactly. Cat food, litter, cat toys, scratching posts, anything in that realm. I will brand the shit out of my my little commercials for you as long as you give me the freedom to make whatever I want to make with them. Um, and I think I mean, that actually would be very effective. Like, wouldn't yeah. you, if it's a funny video starring cats, you're going to sit through it and then see the brand at the end. And I mean, maybe probably, you need to do
1: the, the Shelby Zoe Coley and just make one and just right. tweet at them.
0: Just start, just start putting all different logos at the end of them and just doing different tweets for each brand. I may have to, but I mean that like I would, love, I have always said that I have no interest in commercial directing, but that's one area of commercial directing that I could really get into. And it could be remote. Cause I have cats. Totally. So, perfect yeah and they're Uh, so photogenic
1: (laughs) they are very photogenic cats (laughs) cats. i did not expect that that's this is where this episode (laughs) would go and i'm delighted frankly (laughs) yeah the only exciting meeting i've had recently is when i set up but it was an exciting meeting it was actually like two days ago where like i mentioned freaking dead on arrival web series is the only thing anybody wants to program at screenwriting festivals and i was like fine universe you got me emotional at a film festival And you've been giving exclusively opportunities to the web series version of a script I wrote. So, okay, I'm here. I'm listening. I am theoretically interested in producing, at the very least, the pilot. Because like I said, the series goes to a point where like, I think it would probably be unlikely to produce on any level of budget that I could personally make so I got in contact with um the the apple juice production ladies so uh Amanda Taylor and Kaylee Brown who I worked with on Better With You because I really really loved working with them and um I was just like let's let's just have a meeting because I had sent them the script like years ago and then sent them an updated version recently and I was like hey I know you guys both like this script I would like to just like explore talking about maybe making it like, what would you think if I started to put some motion behind this sort of vague thing? We're always vague tweeting at each other. And so we, we had a little meeting and it was really, really great because one of the things we ended up doing in that meeting was before we committed to anything, because it wasn't even a commitment meeting, it was just let's talk about what's interesting about this to us. But something else we really specifically did was we went one by one and said, what. Is your what would what are you hoping to get out of this opportunity and any opportunity you're doing next, even if it's not this script? What is your goal professionally? What do you want out of this? And we went button by one and we were super honest and we we talked about like things that we liked having done in the past and things that we did not want to replicate in the past and like mm. what all of our particular trajectories were and it they seemed to align. So we have scheduled mm. an additional meeting where we're going to talk more specifically about what are the roles that all of us want to take on on this project? Because, you know, as with this uh, podcast and this relationship, Christina and I are often producers by force mm-hmm. um, and it's, you know, we'll just do all the work fine. And this time we're like, all right, the three of us were, I, I brought them in specifically very early on. And we were all like, we are all theoretically interested in theoretically producing, but we also all have things that we hate about producing. So let's get together and be like really honest. Like, we're not going to do this unless it's the best possible circumstances. None of us are operating from a scarcity mindset. If this project doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But if it does happen, we want to like be methodical about it. And so that's phase two. So who knows? Maybe next year I'll be back on set again and maybe I'll have a crowdfunding campaign or maybe I'll be reaching out (laughs) to investors. So if any of you are rich, get in touch. We'll make Silent Night and then Dead on Arrival.
0: (laughs) Exactly. That should be, I mean, first of all, I really want you to make it because I do love that. I think that should be our general, like always welcome call to action. If people want to give us money to make something, (laughs)
1: Uh we
0: are here to receive it.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, with that, do we want to transition to like what our maybe goals high level for next year are? I know, obviously, yes. we're recording this at the beginning of November. So, you know, I, I, sur- this isn't my final list because every year I right. do, I publish a blog of my like 10 goals for the next year. But, like, yeah, Christina, what's, what's one goal that you have next year? Maybe we'll go back and forth.
0: So, one goal is a personal goal it's to buy a house. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I mentioned it in burnout, but it was mm-hmm. in a like sort of not fully way. Yeah, so that's a big change that happened this year, too. I talked about in burnout like wanting to have a life that I'm happy on a day to day with, not just like in a goal oriented way. And a lot of the pandemic, Justin and I were staying inside, like really staying inside and just dreaming about nature because we were just in our apartment. And Justin is from, as he would say, the sticks. He grew up like upstate New York, but really in the middle of nowhere up there. And his like, his school had 30 students. Like that's how small it was. I mean, it was insane. Um, So he has always wanted to kind of go back, not to that kind of remote living, but to nature, like to be up there. But his job has always required him to be in the city. And I was always very against like leaving my community, leaving Queens in particular, because I do love Queens and it's like, it will always be a home. It's, it's, I love my neighborhood in particular. So we would dream about like moving, but it was never really real because for me, I always felt like I was going to miss the city when I was like, I missed the city and I felt like I wanted to have time to be back in it once the pandemic ended, or at least was like, you know, safe to be out and about. Um, But then as I was getting out and about, Again, I had one particular experience where I I rode the subway for the first time in like a year and a half. And I had to go into Manhattan and on the subway, people were wearing masks, but they were like, there were some people coughing and people were like up in with their armpits in my face. And I was just sort of realizing that I have never, like I've been over the subway for a long time. Like even before the pandemic, I had been over going into Manhattan. I just wasn't quite admitting it to myself because I generally stay walkable, like walking in my neighborhood or Queens in general. And even if I do go into the city, it's like uh, Long Island City, I can walk over the bridge, you know? And so that was sort of the first realization. And then I was going to have a panic attack because of how many people were like on top of me. And that had not been my experience in a year and a half. I was Had not had anybody near me and suddenly there were people in my face. And so I just got off at Grand Central and walked to Chelsea Piers because that's where the event was that I was going. Mm -hmm. And this whole walk, I was like, I still love the city for like all that it is, but it doesn't feel like where I need to be anymore. And I thought that it would but it just didn't. And I was sort of, this whole walk realized I was so over it. And then I got to Chelsea Piers and I was at this networking event and it was beautiful because it was at night. And so the lights over the water and everything. And I was just like, this is beautiful, but it doesn't feel like where I need to be. Like, it's not for me anymore. And so I went went home that, that evening and told Justin that I really it's like a light a light just sort of switched on in me that I was just ready to move. And so it was kind of like immediate, but it had been brewing for a year, year and a half. And he was like, thank God, because honestly I was trying not to like pressure you or, or push I had sort of accepted that you wanted to stay, but I've been ready. So that that is really how I ended up on this journey over the last three or four months now of trying to move upstate. And so that's really been a very stressful journey. <laughs> We're the first in our families to own property, so we don't have anyone really guiding us on like the ups and downs of buying a house. But from Justin's coworkers that have experienced that, we have heard that it is always a shit show. So at least we don't feel quite as bad that it has been that for us. Um, we, ha- we thought we had the right house and then that fell through. And then we got outbid on the second house we thought was it. And now we're a little bit in limbo. I was hoping to be moved by the end of this year, but that's not realistic now with the holidays coming. And so uh, we, we are hoping that by the new year by the end of January will really be on the road towards at least having the house like that we'll have it it'll be ours I'm hoping and yeah and so it's been a weird it's it's been a weird road and I still love I love Queen so I'll obviously be back it's a two-hour train ride and IndieWorks is a big is the big question and everyone who has heard that I'm moving is like okay but what about IndieWorks and I haven't figured it out yet I I'm still all about the New York City film community. And it has always been New York State that has always been. And even like New Jersey, it's really just like the general area where you could be collaborating with people making movies here. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still like it's – if it stays once a month and if it stays in Queens, which I think would be the case, I can take the train one evening a month, you know, and stay in Queens with my friends who live here or whatever. That's not a big deal. But i am also been thinking about like having maybe – two versions of it or like encore screenings up there, just like I've been experimenting in my mind, but I won't know until I get up there and embed myself in the community.
1: And also that realistically we can be back in person regularly enough that you can start up a monthly in-person series again. IndieWorks
0: has been on hiatus for a year and a half, almost two years now because it just doesn't feel safe from a pandemic perspective and it also doesn't feel Right from a like burnout perspective on my sure. team, who's been working full time through the pandemic and dealing with a lot of the stuff we talked about in our last episode. Mm-hmm. And so it's all up in the air, but I'm definitely still gonna be around. But yeah, it's been, it's weird, but that's my big thing for the new year is to buy a house, like the house that will be our forever house. That's cool. Another realization I had over the last year is that while like teaching and mentoring and all of that would not be enough for me. Like I need to be a director. I need to make stuff. I also feel that directing in and of itself would not be enough. Like I would still want to do this podcast and I would still want to mentor other filmmakers. Like I love that piece of it. That was the part of my old job that was really hard to leave and has been the hardest part about freelancing is that the people who can pay me are the people... I am not as interested in mentoring. Like I want to mentor the people that were me 10 years ago or even the me now that just like need a little more, you know? Mm -hmm. And so what I am excited about is that Woodstock has a lot of arts organizations that I could maybe be part of that like will pay me to give people free advice. (laughs) Like that is uh, a path I'm also hoping to
1: explore. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of very similar to my my first goal, which is also community based is that like, you know, when we recorded the burnout episode, it was like a day or two after I had like a massive breakdown about like, what if I just don't do this? And then, you know, being reminded, hey, you just moved to Los Angeles, like two months ago, maybe fucking relax. And then (laughs) since then, I have been a lot more conscious of like, instead of just sitting in my apartment by myself thinking, I'll never do anything maybe get out of my apartment. So a big goal for me next year is to grow my network like on the ground in Los Angeles and be better about really succinctly stating my goal. Cause I had a conversation with uh, a former coworker of ours a little while ago where like at first she thought the conversation, you know, relating to my existential dread was like her trying to help me figure out what else I want to do. And then by the end she realized, Oh no, you know exactly what you want to do. Oh, I thought your existential dread was that like, you're no longer on a path that you recognize, but it sounds like you know what path you want to be on. You just haven't found it yet. So like, and I was like, okay, clearly I need to be more specific. So to state my intentions, while I am happy to start out as a writer's PA or writer's assistant, please keep me in mind for support staff work. I also feel fairly confident in myself uh, being staffed right away. So I'm also actively Mm -hmm. seeking representation to help me strategize that ascent. So that's what I'm trying to do. Building a network of people who trust me, who think I'm dependable, who like my writing, in Los Angeles on the ground. I am here. This is where the television writing industry is. Put me in coach. Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But also just meeting people because it's been a long time since I've, like, had truly really a local community. You know, like, the last time I really yeah. built a community was through grad school and, like, making work with people I met through grad school. But, like, you know, we've all gone to separate places at this point um, and that community isn't as strong anymore. And I'm, I'm, I'd am i like to build a new one.
0: Yeah, that's
1: great. What else you got? What, what other goals do you have?
0: Silent Night. I mean, I want... 2022 to be the year something actually happens like mm-hmm. I I think it is still like it's so relevant even more than when I wrote it from a thematic perspective but it's also so fun and I think that people are like funding horror so much right now so fund my horror you know like <laughs> give me money um, so that I think like if not in production by the fall I want to have funding in place and, like, be on the road towards production.
1: Yeah, that's totally... that's I think that's totally viable. Anyone out there, uh, I second. <laughs> give Christina money. It's very good. I don't even like horror movies that much. And this is a very good horror movie that I'm mad I can't already watch. So <laughs> get it together.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: <laughs> my, my next goal for next year is to quit two of my jobs. I'm keeping it vague. But, like, something that I have come to really like believe and not just intellectually understand is that like my status quo is not working. You know, Christy and I both talked about like trying to get over defining our identity as how busy we are and Mm -hmm. like, I've had a lot of stuff happen the past couple of years that has led me to the position I am in now, but I am almost 30. I'm getting married next year. That's not really a goal for next year, but it is a thing that's (laughs) happening next year. Mm -hmm. And like I just moved to a new city and the status quo of my day to day life is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. So... I need to get to a position where I no longer need to like hoard jobs in order to feel safe. I need to figure out a new status quo because right now it's not working. And I know that I don't want to feel like this at the end of next year. So I think a first part of setting that intention is quitting two of my jobs again. I am being vague about which ones they are because I don't even know yet. But <laughs> yeah. if I have not quit two of my jobs by the end of next year, then something has gone horribly wrong. And I might need to give somebody my password so you can quit my jobs for me <laughs> because clearly I have been proven to not be trustworthy.
0: <laughs> so my my series idea that I have little whispers, I would really like to write all eight episodes. However, I don't think that I am the right person to write or solely write all of them because some of them are about identities like the the sort of trauma or haunting of certain aspects of living in society as a specific identity and that's not my identity and so this is like maybe too ambitious (laughs) but I would love the ability to be a little bit of like a showrunner with a writing team that I can pay to write it. So it's like I would be guiding the seasonal arcs, but specific writers would have specific episodes that are already outlined that would be theirs to write and change how they wish. And that would be sort of my ideal scenario. And so I would love to be in some way doing that or on the cusp of doing that.
1: Yeah, that's very cool. I would just also
0: really love to like have a writer's room where Mm -hmm. we like break story together. That would just be really fun. fun. Yeah, Um, but to do it, for money would be extra
1: fun (laughs) yeah for sure as with always give us your money people listening Mm -hmm. and thank you to those of you who have already given us your money you help us in ways that you could not possibly imagine (laughs) my next goal is uh, i want to write two new original pilots that's something that like I really got out of practice with. The only things I was writing for a couple of years were just things I was going to produce next. And that was good because that meant, you know, for a while I was producing quite a bit of work and I'm really proud of the portfolio I built up. But like even now that I'm like dancing around, going back into production, it, you know, I, I know that it is not at least right now a priority for me to go back to the rate at which I was producing. And mm-hmm. now that I'm in Los Angeles and my intention is to repeat, be a TV writer, Anyone who has any leads on anything even tangentially related to TV writing, get in my DMs. I need to write more original samples. I need more of them. I need to be in the practice of writing new ones. Something that like I still haven't really given up from prose is getting obsessed with one story and staying with it for 10 years. That's Uh how I've always approached writing because I just I fall in love with the thing that I'm working on. And then once I learned that I could make it myself, that became all consuming. But realistically, if I want to, at the very least, be starting my career as a staff writer, as a television writer, I need to be prepared to develop content and like get it to a place where I'm comfortable with and then move on better. So Mm -hmm. two two pilots next year. That's the goal. That's great.
0: When I was a kid, I had two hobbies that I've just dropped in my adulthood that I would like to revisit. Maybe not stick to because I don't know if I'll find enjoyment from them anymore, but I want to try and get back to them. And they're really hard to do here in the city. Um, One is rock climbing. I used to love to climb everything. Yeah, so up there, I obviously will be able to do that. Totally. (laughs) And the other is pottery. I used to really enjoy, I wasn't very good at it, but I enjoyed making ashtrays and mugs and stuff. Quinn's really used to be
1: really into pottery. Ceramics and sculpture was like his medium for a long time.
0: That's cool. Yeah, so I'm going to give it a shot again and see.
1: Yeah, it seems like you're moving to the right community for that. I'm excited for Uh that. Next year, I'll send you pictures of my paintings and you'll send me pictures of your pottery. I love this for us. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Something that I did this year was taking at least two days off a month. uh, And I so far have stuck to that. We'll see how November and December go. Although I I have a feeling, you know, with the the holidays, that's going to happen naturally. Uh Next year, I'm going to up the ante. Three days off a month. I don't think I can go all the way up to four yet because I still have two podcasts that I'm actively producing. Burn (laughs) Notice hopefully will be ending by the end of next year. But like, you know, this weekend we're recording this on a Saturday. Tomorrow I have two and a half hours worth of Burn Notice to record and edit. And like it's not realistic to keep up with the like required work that it takes to do two podcasts especially when i'm so like involved in the production of both in different ways it's just not realistic for me to be able to say that uh-huh. cuz i am dependent on other people's schedules you know sometimes uh-huh. a day that i'm like no i want to take that off it's the only day that we can you know record with a guest or chris and i are both available uh-huh. so like realistically At least, you know, I'm open to changing this next year. I'm open to taking more time off. And I did take more time off this year than I absolutely had to, but my minimum is three days off a month.
0: Okay. I hope that you exceed that.
1: I also hope that I exceed that. That's why I'm quitting two of my jobs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would like to continue this sort of soul searching I've been doing this year. Like continue that commitment to prioritizing my humanity over my career, like my definition of success in a career, making sure that I'm they're like intertwined in everything I do and not prioritizing just success over my well-being and my wants as a human. Um, that's a big one. yeah. <laughs> and and I think my move will, will help keep that, you know, totally. Going.
1: So my final, like, goal for next year that's, like, higher level ethereal is – and I actually, funny enough, talked about this on my Burn Notice podcast, the podcast that's only tangentially about Burn Notice, the USA television series, is mm. I'm really trying to embrace m- the parts of my mom's worldview that have started to make sense to me. So to mm. for background, so my mom is very much a person of everything happens for a reason. And mm. she is Catholic – ish. She's Catholic with an asterisk. She does not go to church. She hasn't gone to church in years. Um, And I would say at most she's spiritual, but something that has always like been true for her is like this fundamental belief that everything happens for a reason. And as a teenager and beyond, I found this stupid. I hated that. Mm -hmm. I was like, how like that, that, you know, that gives too much credit for the good stuff to somebody else. And it also offloads blame to, you know, the unweighable power of the universe. And I, I never Mm -hmm. liked that, but I think having lived with my mother for quite a long time this, this year uh, in between moving from New York to Los Angeles, something that I noticed in like, just kind of observing how she moves about her life fairly successfully against all odds because of everything that's going on. Something that I realize is that what that worldview allows her is instead of being resentful for things that don't happen or that things Mm -hmm. don't happen when she wants them to, because we're very similar people. She and I have like very specific things that we want and we don't like compromising about it. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, this Mm -hmm. is what we want. This is what we know we need, but she doesn't dwell on things that don't go the way that she wants. Instead, she accepts Something has happened and moves forward. So instead of about Mm -hmm. thinking about going about her life thinking, what if she goes about her life thinking, what next? And I find that to be a tremendously healthy worldview that I'm going to try to incorporate more because I feel like a lot of the feelings that have been having this year that are so negative are very like navel gazy bullshit and very much. Like me refusing to let go of preconceptions and of what I want to happen. But mm-hmm. if it's not happening, me just being resentful that it's not happening is not productive for me. And it's clearly not been healthy. So I, next year, I really want to try to embrace instead of what if, what now. And like, I
0: think that's great.
1: I still kind of think it's bullshit, but I think that <laughs> if I can embrace the parts of it, that are healthy and are forward-thinking rather than necessarily litigating why something has happened. I don't think that's the point. I don't think why something has happened or the, you know, God works in mysterious ways. I don't find that compelling or Mm -hmm. useful. But Mm -hmm. I do respect that, well, whoever is in charge, whatever Mm -hmm. cosmic instances created the situation, the situation has occurred. And so I need to be better about accepting and embracing you know. Yeah,
0: I think that's that's very healthy and very good. It's hard to do. Mm-hmm. My mom is like that too. She says that all the time. And I, I definitely have gone through, I, especially teenage years. Of yeah, like,
1: you're, you know, our militant atheist years. Yes,
0: <laughs> right, right. But I do think like if an example of how it has helped me, like what you're saying has helped me even just in the last week, is regarding the house where trying to like zoom out and look at life as a puzzle – It's like, okay, that house we really wanted fell through because the house we're meant to have is the owners are not ready to sell yet. Like that is the reality. And so we may be ready to buy, but the house we're meant to have, those people are not ready to sell yet. And we need them to get to where they need to be so that we can then fit together, right? And so Mm -hmm. like that idea of not, dwelling
1: in something that didn't work out but we're trying to make something that doesn't seem like it's a good fit be a fit you know right because it's not about saying like i am destined for this one person or this one Mm -hmm. thing it's saying Mm -hmm. well i'm not destined for the thing that just didn't work out so good now i know that and i can move on
0: exactly yeah right and it creates possibility it creates opportunity to look forward to
1: And yeah, it's a total, it's a really hard thing to do, but I'm really challenging Mm -hmm. myself when I find myself in a thought spiral of like, you know, everything's going wrong. It's like, well, what went right? You know, Mm -hmm. what, what is going well? What is within my control to, you know, exert positivity and optimism and opportunity and what is not and what is not, you know, I might not be able to get it off my mind, but I can practically let it go. Logistically, I can stop making motions towards a thing that's not working out.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's a good one.
1: We'll see how that works out for me. (laughs) I'm a historically cynical bitch.
0: (laughs) I'm an idealist, which I think is like a problem. (laughs) My entire childhood and especially my teen years, people would tell me I'm too idealistic. Like that's my flaw that I expect the world to look the way I think it should. should I mean, me too. And And
1: that that's honestly what triggered this like realization is a friend, uh, my podcast, my other podcasting partner, Christine, mentioned to me that she was like, you are a kind of person who I feel like has an idea of what it means to be a good adult. And I am Mm -hmm. the kind of person who fundamentally doesn't think that is a thing that exists. And it Mm -hmm. really fucked me up. And I have been thinking about it ever since she said that to me. And I'm like, she's right. And so I need to Mm -hmm. stop expecting, like, an idealized version of what it means to be an adult human being on a planet of millions and billions that Mm -hmm. you we live in a society, but I can't exert my understanding of we live in a society on everyone. And like, that's not. A useful way to approach things, especially like on a person to person. Politically, we can have a longer conversation, but like on a person to person level, a lot of my interpersonal problems have been a result of me having a very specific idea of what it means to be an adult. And when somebody doesn't fit that, I try to fix them instead of Mm -hmm. trying to just like, you know, meet in the middle recognize yeah, if this relationship that, just isn't yeah. going to work and move mm-hmm. on. You know, it's like I, I'm like trying to win every situation, but my win parameters are very narrow and that's not healthy. And it's not healthy for me and it's not healthy for the people around me. And the handful of times that I've managed to give up on that, I have gotten really wonderful relationships out of it. And mm-hmm. so maybe I need to learn from those successes of, hey, accept what things are and then change based on what you want them to be. And that isn't going to be changing the other people. It's going to be changing you. So either accept it or move on rather than desperately fighting, you know, the current. Right.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, (laughs) thanks everyone for listening over the last year. A little bit over a year since we started.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, this is the last episode for this year, 2021, uh, for the free feed. So for all of our $3 and above Patreon subscribers, because we're not doing free episodes next month, we are doing three bonus episodes. So I don't know if this is the exact order we're doing it, but there are going to be three bonus patreon specific podcast episodes so if you want to keep listening to our podcast through december 2021 leading up to our new season in january uh join our patreon patreon.com breaking out pod we will be doing an episode on uh our breaking even pledge drive what we learned from doing a patreon pledge drive after Mm -hmm. you know years of cumulative crowdfunding traditional experience What we learned, what we did right, what we did wrong, what we're how we're thinking about it for the future. So if that's a case study that interests you, um, that's an episode that will be coming out soon. We will also be doing an episode reviewing 2021 screenwriting Twitter drama, because uh, around (laughs) June I started tracking every time there was like a Twitter main character that uh, was just absurd. So, you know, the bolded slug lines of it all. We'll be doing Mm -hmm. a full retrospective and, and talking through screenwriting drama screenwriting twitter drama specifically and then finally we will be doing a little like you know more uh recommendation based episode of just what christina and i watched this year and liked and want to recommend to people That's okay. so if that sounds interesting three dollars is all you need to spend for all three of those episodes that's patreon.com slash breaking out pod uh, and we hope to see you there Yeah. So for the last time in 2021, thanks so much
0: to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, Ezra Lee for editing this episode, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them, as always, are in episode description. And thank you to our booby VIPs, Shannon Sprangler, Jules Piggott, Rain Bernal, Kelsey Rauber, Jerry Maravilla, Norman Steinberg, Amanda Blunt, Anthony Epp, Kim Garland, and
1: Shayna Rose Woolley. If you would like a name shout out at the end of every episode, please feel free to subscribe at patreon.com slash breaking and have a happy holidays, everybody.
0: Yeah. Happy holidays. Happy new year. We'll see you either on Patreon in December <laughs> or uh, on the main feed in the new year.